Amen. Thank you so much, Usher. Thank you. If you're a visitor, don't feel under any obligation uh, to uh, give, but uh, we're happy if you do. And uh, it's good to um, be together. Well, it has been quite a weekend, uh, and it's been a glorious weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends. I know May, June is mad with family lives, suckers going on, incredible things are happening, miracles are taking place in Canada with the rocket. It's going through to the final this afternoon. Um, let's just pause and pray. Um, well, you know, we, we live at great days, amazing moments when this will happen. So I think the game starts at four o'clock. So I'm glad you're in church. Um, I did pray that it wouldn't, anyway. Um, it, nothing like a good hockey match to kill a church service. But, but I understand that. And what a glorious moment. So we're all hoping that after the momentous win yesterday, that uh, it will happen. I hope it was momentous yesterday because I, I preached six times yesterday and did a memorial service. So it was quite the day. And, uh, and of course, now we're going to win the Memorial Cup. So, uh, oh, you don't know what to do in church, do you? Whether to celebrate the Rockets. No, rebuke that spirit. Um, <laughs> We look forward to it, and of course, they're going to win. Um, we've been dealing with the armor of God and the armor of God, talking about the, uh, having it. And boys, you were amazing. Fantastic. Yes. That is, that is brotherly love going on right there. That is fantastic. Yes, there. I can see that. Uh, it's fantastic. You know, and when one dropped off and said, oh, I can't remember, the other came in. Yeah, it was good. That's the way it should be. Uh, and, and thank you, Phil, for making that happen. And, and may our Boys Brigade, our Pioneer Girls, we're proud of them. And uh, we just love what God is doing in their lives. But we've been talking about the armor of God. They did say they were going to have a sword for me from Boys Brigade here. Ah, there is a sword. I spot it. I will use that in a few moments on you. Um, but, but we've been talking about the armor of God. If you're not a Christian or church is new to you, Willow Park is new to you, the very idea that we are in a battle in the world may not be new to you because you may feel in your own life that you've been in a battle anyway and you've come into church and the church is talking about a battle. And it's absolutely right. We are in a battle. We're in a battle spiritually. We're in a battle in the world that we live in. You may have come to church this morning, not a Christian, but you're in a battle. So I'm hoping even the words I speak to you will encourage you to keep believing, to find a different way to approach your life and to know God's strength and God's power. And this is the last of our, uh, our teachings on the uh, stand series in terms of the uh, armor of God. Uh, we will then uh, step into a series of short three for June uh, into prayer, stand firm, and then it goes about prayer. And next week, we're talking about anxiety and prayer. And anxiety seems to be a curse of our modern age, doesn't it? So watch out for that next week. We're going to talk about prayer, anxiety, stress, and continue that series about engaging in prayerfulness and understanding God's strength and power in that. 
But the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, I think verse 17. And it says here now, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with the Bible. But by the end of my short message, I want to encourage you that... Uh, that you will fall in love with a passion to read Scripture and, and, and engage in the Scripture within your life. In, in Ephesians, Paul is writing here and he says he calls the Scripture the sword of the Spirit, which is, he makes it very clear, which is the Word of God. So he's saying that we have a weapon, we have a sword, and this weapon, this sword, which is the word of God, is available to us. It makes me ask the question, well, how much did the Ephesians actually read the scriptures? It makes me ask the question, how much do you and I read the scriptures? If I'm to believe the research by the Pew organization, only 19% of you present in church this morning read the Bible every day. So will those 19% please stand? No, it's all right. Um, Because the rest of you are sweating. Uh, Only 19% read the Bible uh, every day. And, and then the statistics get even worse to down to once a week and then occasional, which tells us a picture that over 50% of church active members only read the Bible occasionally. Now, let me just start off by this. I will tell you exactly how to commit spiritual suicide within your Christian walk. Do not read the Bible. You will commit That spiritual death within your life, if you're not reading the Bible, if I'm not reading the Bible, if the Bible's not the center of our lives, if the Bible is not part of who we are, you you won't just die, you are choosing spiritual death because the Word of God, the Bible. Now, this may sound strange to some people here, and I'll explain why this is so important. It's so important, let's start with this scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. It is so important because all scripture is God-breathed and useful teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and training in righteousness. So if you are going to be taught by something, if you are going to have a rebuke and you know all those moments when you've been had the wrong attitude, when you're approaching a situation in the wrong way and you feel the rebuke of the Holy Spirit speaking to you through the words that you know that you've got to shape up because your attitude is completely wrong at that moment. But this is really interesting, this scripture, because Paul uses a phrase here that is only, is, is, isn't actually really used in the Greek. I, um, I think it may even be the only spot where this phrase, this combination is used in the New Testament. And this may seem strange for some of you who are new to Christianity, but the, the New Testament is comprised mainly of, of Greek, uh, some Arab, um, and, and, and as it was comprised, it was written beautifully and amazingly and crafted together, staggering uh, uh, the way that Scripture comes together. And it uses this phrase, which is unique, all Scripture is God-breathed. That is the unique thing. 
You see, what Paul is actually teaching is here, he's saying this book called the Bible, which was assembled over um, a, a period of time, what, 1,500 years, assembled and brought together and passed down from generation um, through thousands of years, and the stories retold, and the Psalms sung, and the prophecies written down right the way through Scripture. He's actually saying something incredible here. He's saying that within, the, within this book... There is the very breath, or a literal translation, the very wind of God is blowing through the pages of this book. Now that is incredible. Because that is quite a claim that not only is the Bible amazing in terms of historical documents, not only is it incredible in terms of its, of its rigor, in terms of archaeological uh, textbook of where you can find the places, track the people, and so much of it can be tracked in reality and fact, but actually the Bible that is brought together uh, through many, many different authors about this same God over thousands of years, has the wind of God blowing through it. So that's one reason the enemy wants to take away your desire to read the Bible because the Bible has the wind of God blowing through it. So he uses this phrase, God breathed, and he's useful for teaching. The only the real connection with God breathed in the, in, in, in the Scripture is interesting, the two ways we can go here. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 2. And you have a moment which has exactly the same nuances, exactly the same feel, exactly the same moment as, as Paul seems to be connecting and describing. What, you, what is this? Well, you know when, when God created humanity and he brought them from the dust of the ground and he shaped them. And what did God do with them? He breathed life into them. The mark and the image of God is on every one of us because we are made in the image of God and the breath of God is in our lives. And he's linking this, Paul is, to that scripture has the breath and the image of God raging through its DNA, the wind, the breath, the power. In other words, this is not just a book, this is an incredible book that has supernatural reality to our lives. And if you um, think of... Uh, 2 Peter chapter th 3 and verse 14 through to 16, uh, Peter writes these words, which is interesting because he connects the same sense of authority and God's spirit and God's presence in the Old Testament as he now introduces the writings of Paul and affirms it. And sometimes we wonder what is going on here with the writings of the New Testament and the Old Testament. And of course, we believe as a church that Scripture is God-breathed, that it's infallible, that it is the Word of God, that every bit of it is true. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. 
the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of these letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. What Peter is actually doing is is really important. He's actually affirming that the writings of Paul are with the wisdom and the sense and the power of God is at work in Paul's writings. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say it's as if God himself has come down with a mighty sword and has chosen his Christian believers and presented to them a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and said, in life's battles, in life's problems, in life's difficulties, I present you a sword where you can resist the darkness and the pain of this world. I have given you words, I have given you scriptures that bring life, that bring freedom, that bring joy, that bring hope. This is the Word of God in our lives. And it's there. And we have to be willing to say, okay, get a grip. I may not like reading, but let's start reading. Wherever we start, I need this because this is, bears the very breath of God and the power of God and the truth of God within it. And God has presented you with a sword, dear friends. And don't leave that sword lying around with dust on it. Open it, use it, and let God use you in power and speak to you through it. Uh, just on this point, uh, 2 Peter 1 and uh, talks about uh, the ancient prophetic words of the Old Testament. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to the light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origins in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by what? By the Holy Spirit. So when you look at the prophets of old and Moses and and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the writings of Scripture, he's reminding us that they were instruments picked up by God and God used them to communicate his heart, his word, his will to the people. In other words, I can have confidence that the Bible is not just a book, but the Bible has supernatural power to help me in life's problems and difficulties. It is the sword that I pick up to fight against the doubts, the fears, the battles, the struggles of my existence in this dark world. It gives me that hope. So pick the sword up. Pick the sword up. Start to read it. It's important. The sword itself was, is unlike the sword that Boys Brigade brought for me. And this is a bit of an advertisement for Boys Brigade. They're amazing, and Phil does an incredible job with the team. And, um, and you know, get your kids memorizing. But this is, the sword that he's talking about is nothing like this sword. Okay, I've, there, this is a big sword, isn't it? My word. <laughs> I feel like... Yeah. Arthur Pendragon. Um, 
Who can... Oh, it's quite a sword. The sword that Paul has in mind has absolutely nothing to do with this sword. I imagine, although my medieval history is quite good, this is a medieval long sword that when we used to visit castles in England and Europe, they always had these and the kind of thing that a a warrior would use. And basically, this sword is a slash hash sword. You swing this, if you get in the way, you're in trouble, correct? I mean, you could swing this and half a dozen people could feel the power of this sword. It's an ancient sword, and, um, but it is not the sword the Romans used. The sword the Romans used was about 24 inches long, and it was an exact straight sword that went to a point and was there, and it was held tightly to the Roman soldier, and it was always used for personal hand-to-hand combat against the enemy. It was precise. It didn't slash or, or, or swing about. It was precise. It was exact, and it was used to to dispatch the enemy, usually some some poor Saxon or Englishman who got the end of the Roman sword as Hadrian invaded and built walls and all kinds of things and they invaded northern Germany and took us all off into... I'm not bitter. And... But they were the most, and that sword, this is an impressive sword, but this is not the most impressive sword of history. In fact, people would argue that the Roman sword itself, the small sword, has been the most successful sword in all of history in terms of conquest, campaign, and ruling other nations because of its exact nature. It's close nature to the soldier that held it. It's smaller nature and that it went into battle and was close up and personal. Can I just say to you that when you're in battle, the word of God is close up and personal to you. And the way that the word of God is to be used, the way it is to be um, engaged I don't know what to do with it now. I don't know whether it's... Now put it there. Do not stand on it, Phil. Um, we can engage with it in that, that, that time. Let me give an example of this. We have amazing examples in scriptures. Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and um, Mark chapter 1 is, is Jesus in the wilderness being tempted. Now, we don't get a picture of what's going on with Jesus in the wilderness in Mark chapter 1. It's quite a quick statement that happens in the first chapter. But we get a blow-by-blow account in both the other Gospels of Jesus, 40 days fast. The, the Satan comes to him and starts to tempt him. And rather than, than debating with the enemy, what does Jesus do at that moment? He takes a short scripture, he picks it up, if you like, in a short sword, and he rebukes the enemy by quoting a short scripture that puts him in his place. So he comes, he says, you can turn bread, you can turn rocks into bread. Well, Jesus isn't against doing food miracles. His first miracle was water into wine. Amazing miracle, and we've been trying to turn it back into water ever since. Incredible. And, and, and these other miracles, loaves and fishes and all kinds of things, uh, wonderful miracles. And yet, he comes against 
the enemy by simply saying, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, yes. It was as if at that moment he pulled out that short sword, which is Paul is talking about, and the lies are coming. You can eat. You can do this. You can rule the world. You can give up all your glory, and I will give you everything. He pulls that short sword out. He pulls out that short phrase, and he strikes the enemy back with the truth. Concise, direct, and so very, very effective. And that's why you need to have the word of God at the heart. Because for every situation you're facing, God wants to give you a scripture so you can strike back and stand on the power of that scripture. Having the word of God. You see, okay. In, 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 well, the way that we describe the Bible, we describe it as logos. Logos is the word of God. It is the whole canon of Scripture. We use the word logos. Also, it's described to use in terms of, of the orthodoxy, of doctrine. You know, you might talk about the Sermon on the Mount as just a massive amount of glorious truth of logos and doctrine. The, the writings. It is, it is used as a term that we use for the whole of the Bible. But there's another phrase that is used about Scripture as well. And the word is rhema, which I think as, um, as Boyce writes, or you may know him as a theologian, he writes that, that, that rhema seems to be that short saying that carries immediate power in the moment of difficulty, temptation, crisis, and pain. And you pull out a short passage, and at that moment, it gives you, um, it gives you that, that strength. And certainly, that's how Jesus used it with Satan. He pulled a, a powerful scripture that addressed that issue, a short saying that changed absolutely everything. In fact, other theologians, O'Brien talks about the fact that often Ramus seems to have this sense that it needs to be spoken out. It's a verbal thing. Jesus spoke it out in the wilderness. Jesus took the short scripture in the middle of that battle and spoke it out and proclaimed it. And when we preach the word of God and we quote scriptures, we are proclaiming the truth of that. But it's a word that strikes you for now. It's a saying that sets you free. It's a scripture that is alive and relevant. Relevant to your moment, in your situation, in your battle. It's a short sword that you pull out when you are afraid of fear, when you're afraid of anxiety, when you feel as if you're worried about a situation or a problem. God gives you a verse or a number of verses and you know because this is quickened within your spirit and you pull the scripture out and you claim it, you stand on it, you pray through you speak it out and it has the power to break the attack of the enemy. The word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And I want to ask you, when was the last time you read the Bible and God spoke to you clearly through a verse and it, it was as if it erupted from the page 
And it started to change your life, your situation. How many promises in Scripture are you holding on to that you need to revisit and need to hold on to that God's going to carry you through what you are going through? Hold on to Scripture. And if you haven't got that going on, if you haven't got Scripture happening at the heart of your life, then start to ask for a word from the Lord for where you are at. Let me explain it another way. Hebrews chapter 4, 12. For the word of God is alive and active. So I think I've made that point. I've preached that one out of the house. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. There we have a double-edged sword. Of course, the Roman sword was also double-edged. The Greek sword wasn't. It was slightly bent and shaped. And, you know, anyway, we won't get into swords. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You want the Lord to transform your heart. You want the Lord to work within you. You want the Lord to do something amazing at the very person you are. And you look at yourself and say, I don't like the way I am. I don't like how I feel. I need some surgery. I need some change. What the word says, like a scalpel, the Lord comes with his word as we consume it, as we read it, as we dwell on it, as we listen to it, as we allow it to master us, not us try and always master it. This verse is exactly what happens. He comes and he divides my soul. And believe me, my soul needs to be divided. There are things in my character. There are things in my personality I am not proud of. But I am thankful to God that when I'm at a difficult place, (coughs) when I'm at a dark place, when I'm at a struggling moment... I can turn to the word of God and it, it does its job on me. It changes me. It speaks to me. It comforts me. It is present. So what he's actually saying is it is the most powerful force in our spiritual lives. And my prayer is, and our heart is that we are a radical, glorious, praying church that we're a listening church to the voice of the Spirit, and that we are a Bible-consuming church, and that in our own personal lives and in the way that we live, the Bible is central to all of our lives because of its life-giving, God-breathed, word-changing approach to our existence. And many of us struggle, 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 because simply we're not building Scripture at the core of our lives. And we're wondering why we've got these problems. Wow. So what, how do, let me just remind you some things. That through the Bible and Scripture, you have received salvation. That through Scripture, doubts are dispelled. That through Scripture, fear can be eradicated. That through scripture, we can know peace in the storm. That through scripture, we can know 
And as Calvin said, and I'll finish off quoting a bit of Calvin, he spoke about this and he spoke very simply. He said, you know, what we need to realize is that there are many great authors in the world. You may have read Plato. You may read Aristotle. And we may read, I like to read Wordsworth and Coleridge and I like to read other great writers. But Calvin made the correct point. He said this. He said, but realize that there is only one book in the world that has divinity running through it. And it is the scriptures, the word of God. Divinity running through it. Now for some of you, that may be hard for you even to grasp or say, really? Well, try it. You don't have to be a Christian to read the Bible, by the way. So if you wandered in here, you haven't read the Bible for years, you have no idea where to start, and you're listening to me and saying, that's all very well, but where do I start? There are some places definitely not to start. Like like numbers. Um, And there are some places where, but a lovely place to start, if you're new to all of this and you are interested is say the Gospel of Mark. It was written within, easily within um, 10, 15 years after the the, the resurrection of Christ. It is the earliest source for the glorious Gospel sort of coming together, Mark's Gospel. You can sit and read it in just about 50 minutes in one sitting. And it tells you the dramatic, dynamic story of the life of Jesus with all these miracles. It's kind of like the action-packed version of the gospel. So you could start there and start to read. But the important thing is that you, in your own life and as Christians, that you actually, again, pick this weapon up. Again, you ask the Lord to give you words in the middle of the difficulty. And this can happen when you're walking your dog. It can happen in the middle of your day. And I don't usually look at my phone in a sermon. And I know that you never do. Um, But I got this email last night. Because I preached it last night. This message last night. And I preached. I'll preach it again in about 30 minutes at the south. He says, hi, Phil. I was in church tonight. And I wanted to encourage you with this testimony. I had to say amen to what you said about the rhema word being used by the Holy Spirit as a weapon to fight our enemy. On Friday, I was feeling oppressed by negative thinking and emotions. I'm sure many of us have been there. I was finding uh, the emotions hard to deal with because they seemed somehow to reinforce my bad thinking. Anyway, I was feeling and thinking and I, that I was rejected by God. Needless to say, I was not feeling peaceful about this. In the evening, I took our dog for a walk. And as I was walking, I was thinking and praying about how I was feeling. And I don't remember the track that led me to this. But I was reminded of a verse in John's gospel where Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I hadn't memorized this verse per se. 
but I had read it enough times that it was captured deep in my memory. And lo and behold, it spoke to the very thing that I was worried about, rejection. That was last night. After last night's sermon, my email is pcollins at willowparkchurch.com. Let me know. We can feel the pain of darkness even while we're walking our dog. Particularly if you walk my dog. My dog's crazy. But in the darkest moments of our hearts, when we've got scripture implanted in our lives, friends, it's going to make a massive difference. And if you haven't got a current word, a short sentence that you speak out that is God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired, the scripture has erupted from the pages. And you know I say it again and again. Those that read the most of the Bible seem to hear God's voice the easiest. Let's stand together. For some of you who may not even be Christians, you may have loads of historical and archaeological and verifying questions about Scripture. You may have watched the odd, badly assembled documentary on, on the BBC or CBC about the hidden Gospels and this or that. Let me tell you that we've got 2,000 years of rigorous and even in the last 200 years of the most rigorous Affirmation to the integrity of the text that we carry, its strength, its, its life, its history, its provability, if you like. So don't walk out here go, just going, ah, it's just a book. Anybody could have wrote, written it because it's not a book. Over 40 authors, over thousands of years come together in one book about the same God. But you can decide this morning, dear Christian friends, to make one decision to change this week, to apply scripture to your life in a way that you haven't done so far. And leave here with a decision to be different about the God-breathed scriptures that you hold. Leave here to be proactive. Billy Graham was asked, oh, how do you read your Bible? And he was confused by this question. Well, when do you have your quiet time? And he, he said, well, I have it in the mornings. But he said, I have about six Bibles and they're open in every room in my house. And wherever I walk around uh, at times, I'll just pick one up and I'll start reading it. Because for decades now, the Bible is present in every corner and every part of my life and my heart and our house. I'm sure you've got more than six Bibles in your homes because we seem to collect them. Maybe it's time just to open one and then open another and leave them open and start to pick them up 
And you'll be surprised how much God's Spirit's going to speak to you this week. Father, we respond to your word. And we ask that you would put this message at the very heart of who we are as Christians. Because of what the scriptures can do in our lives, Lord Jesus. Free us to be those that consume the word of God. And they lead us and guide us, I ask. In Jesus' name.